Hi folks, this is Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Episode number 162 to be exact, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are, as Teddy Roosevelt once said. This is a practical survival show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't believe in that kind of far out thinking. I just keep this rooted in common sense. So I have a special announcement to make. The change in format that I started a few weeks back where I do two shows a week, keep them down to about 20 minutes or something like that, that just wasn't working out. I thought it was going to be a good idea. It was, you know, fun while I did it. I thought it was going to be a good idea, but now it doesn't work out with my schedule. So I think I'm going to go back to the old way, just doing one every week, uh, about 45 minutes to an hour in length. This one's a little bit longer because I got a pretty good topic and a good interview here to share with you. Speaking of interviews, uh, Wade from Louisiana has been on here twice. If you haven't had a chance to listen to some of the more recent episodes with him on here, uh, episode 160 on herbs and edible plants and the first one we did on herbs and edible plants was episode 154 hey wade thanks you know what there's a lot of people giving you some really good reviews on your comments and uh, thanks for coming on okay every once in a while i talk about skills i talk about survival and preparedness skills you know what do you know and i think that what you know and what you carry with you is just as important as some of the supplies that you have. Don't you agree with that? I think sometimes we, we, we get so wrapped up sometimes in our supplies and, and what do we have and what are our food stores and you know what kind of backup stuff do we have. All that's good. All that's good. I mean, yes, we all have to eat. We have to eat every single day. We have to drink water every single day. We all know that those are the staples. Those that Storing food, water, supplies, first aid kits, etc., etc. Those are the staples of preparedness. And in addition to all of that, I think what you know how to do is incredibly important. So this show is about shooting, but it's more than that. And you know, I don't make this show about guns because I do another podcast called the Handgun World Show, and that's all we do is talk about guns over there. And this show, this this particular episode is kind of related to that. More on that coming up here in just a minute. But do you know how to defend yourself? But more importantly, not just defending yourself with a firearm, because I know that there's some of you who listen to me from other parts of the country uh, where you can't own a lot of firearms or there's restrictions on whether you can carry guns. Some of you listen from outside the United States. I have a lot of international listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And some of you live in countries where you can't own firearms or can't carry firearms. But there's more to that that we're going to talk about here on this show. I recently brought John Hottaway who is a firearms trainer with the Pro Arms team. That's Pro Arms team. They do a uh, podcast called the Pro Arms Podcast. The primary principal there is Masada Ayub. Many of you have probably heard of Masada Ayub and Steve Denny and Gail Pepin and Herman Gunter and Chris Christensen. Chris Christian. A lot of them over there do a really good job of firearms and skills training. But Masada Yu is also a very well-known expert witness. And he's very good. He's been brought into a lot of trials where people have defended themselves with a gun. And he's an expert witness. He's very qualified in the legal aspects of defending yourself. I've talked about a lot of situational awareness 
on this show. And I've talked about defending yourself from time to time. And even though today's survival show is not strictly about guns, it is something that I think is very, very important as far as defending yourself. But also the legal aspects of it. So listen carefully to this interview. This interview is about an hour long. So again, uh, you know, you may have to start and stop this and come back to it from time to time. But it's about an hour long with John Hodaway. He is a trainer for the Pro Arms team, and that's not all he does. Uh, he's a business guy like I am, and we just kind of have a passion for self-defense and for shooting and so forth. But listen to the very beginning of this interview in particular. The whole thing is good, but he also talks a lot about what if you're brought into trial? What if you have to defend yourself? And, you know, the stink could hit the fan at any time, folks. The stink could hit the fan at any time. You might, even though the crap has hit it big time and you have to defend yourself, you still, when the dust settles, after the disaster is over, you still may get brought to trial. And what's your story going to be? Are you going to be prepared for that? Do you have all your ducks in a row if that happens? See, that could be the disaster after the disaster, isn't it? I mean, think about it. The disaster after the disaster is you having to go to trial because you defended yourself and your family. It's a very realistic scenario. It's something that could and does happen. So... Pay close attention to the first part of this interview. We talk in detail about that. Let me make a couple of announcements, and then we'll get right to it. The website, todayssurvival.com, todayssurvival.com. If you want to send me an email, bob at todayssurvival is the best way to get a hold of me. I'm a very open-minded guy. If you have show suggestions, some of you have been sending me a lot, and I'm going to be including a lot of them in the next uh, few episodes. So your suggestions are being read. I am listening to them, and I am reading them, and I will be discussing it. If you'd like to join our forum, go to the forum button at the top of the show page, todayssurvival.com, click the forum button, join our forum. Do me a favor, I'm trying to keep a lot of spammers out of the forum. If you register for Today's Survival Show forum, please send me a private email, bob at todayssurvival.com, and tell me what username you used. I'll approve you right away and your account will get set up a lot quicker that way. Again, send me an email, bob at todayssurvival.com after you've registered for the forum and then I'll get you approved right away. It's kind of a little extra layer of protection to keep the spammers out. Okay? That's it, folks. Um, I'm not going to come back on after this interview. It's so good, there's not much more I can add to it. So, uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main, and it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. So, don't go away, and enjoy this interview with John Hottaway of the Pro Arms Firearms Training Team. By the way, I will put a link to this course if you're interested in today's survival show forum take care folks and enjoy okay my guest on this episode uh he's a popular guy on the handgun world show and and quite a few other podcasts out there too but let's welcome back john hottaway how you doing john i'm doing good bob thank you for having me back on no problem uh every time you come on it gets good reviews so you must be doing something right you, except for the gun dudes i think those guys get jealous when i'm on the show <laughs> I think they'll handle it. They'll make it through, don't you think? I think they'll cope with it, yeah. After meeting them, you know, I think they got worse problems in their life than me being on your show. 
Oh, no, I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch that. Well, you know what? Let's start right off with the really good stuff. The last time you were on my show, you said you had a special announcement to make, so lay it on us. And, Bob, I, I do as, as well. Let me, let me tell you what we have going on. Um, proud to announce that we're going to have the Masada U Group MAG-40 uh, in northwest Arkansas, It'll be actually just outside of Bentonville in Centerton, Arkansas, on May 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th of next year, 2012. And uh, we're going to have a special guest. Bob, do you want to tell them who's going to be there? We're going to have a special guest at the MAG-40 class. Uh, The special guest who's going to be there? I don't know, John. How about you? Oh, that's right. I am the special guest, yes. (laughs) Uh, you know we're going to have you podcast from there, and and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good time. It'll be a good time for your listeners. Great training, and I I can tell you that I'm looking. I know that the unnamed trucker is claiming he's going to be there as well, and we may have a few other podcasters come in for it. So it should be a good time for training and uh, doing some podcast and uh, and meeting some folks. Well, and I'm looking forward to being there very much, and I want to go ahead and put out a call to everybody who's listening to this. you got to be at this class. Uh, if you're a GRRN podcaster, come on, get over there, and uh, let's, let's kind of have a, a fun time there. But more so, anybody that really wants to step up their defensive skill game, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really thrilled, John, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I wish I didn't have to wait so long. You know, Bob, I tell you what, I, I understand how you feel, but, you know, we got to think about it this way. You know, you're going to have to probably take two or three days of vacation, uh, you know, to make the class happen. It's on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, one thing I will say is we have you want to fly into for this thing. If you're flying in, the airport code is XNA. XNA, and that's Northwest Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas Regional is what the name of it is. And I can tell you that, you know, for most big cities, you can get here without having to uh, – um, you know, even make a hop. There's a direct flight from just about every major city in here. And we got tons of hotels, tons of places to eat. Um, you know, so it's, it's not, and Bob, I got to tell you, the directions to the range at no point have turned off the paved road. So, you know, we, we've got a, we got a good facility. We've got a good place to have it, good airport close, and yet it's small town hospitality. So I think it's going to be a, a good time had by all. And I will tell you, that I fully expect this thing to sell out relatively quickly. We've already had um, some people that found out about it through, uh, without even me making an announcement, who have started sending in money. So um, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the carnival barker thing and saying everybody step up and pay. But uh, Mass has asked us to limit the size of this, and um, we're going to do that. So really, what I'm telling you is, is the first 30 people um, get in, and that's the first 30 people with a deposit get in and after that we're going to have to shut it off and it's going to kind of be like the gun dudes you know they sh- they they were open about a month and then it closed off so if you're serious and you think you can do it i would uh you to go to the web page we have uh, it is you ready for the web page bob yeah go for it all one word nighthawkcustomtraining.com nighthawkcustomtraining.com why did i think the word nighthawk was going to be in there just a lucky guess. I know. <laughs> Just a lucky guess. Nighthawk train, Nighthawk custom training or Nighthawk training? Nighthawk custom training. Send you a link. Okay. And then when you get there, there's a little radio button on the left side that goes down that says 
MAG40. You click on okay. MAG40. It gives you the description. It gives you the equipment list. And then there's some forms that you need to fill out and uh, send in with your deposit. Okay. NighthawkCustomTraining.com. That's correct. All right. Cool. Well, uh, now, is that I'm, I'm trying to go to that website right now. Is it up yet? Yeah, it's up right now. I must be having some computer problems. All right, I'll figure it out later. So that is cool. So May 17th through the 20th of 2012. Correct. So, okay, for people who have never been to a MAG-40 class, want to go, uh, talk a little bit about what goes on in a MAG-40 class. Well, you know, Bob, here's what I would say is this. MAG-40 is really a school in when and how to use deadly force and kind of a minor in how to use deadly force. So what it's going to teach you is this. There are certain situations where you are legally and morally justified to use deadly force. What are those situations? The second thing is, once you have used deadly force, what is going to happen to you? Now, there is a common misnomer out there that it was a good shoot. It's going to be fine. (laughs) No, there's a lot of bad things that are about to happen to you, even if it's a good shoot, and you might want to know what those are and take that into consideration when you're prepared to use deadly force. Absolutely. The third thing is, is what if it is a good shoot and you go on trial? What's going to happen to you then? Because names of several people who have used deadly force to defend their life in a justifiable situation They were still charged. They were still tried. And some of them were found guilty and tried again before they were let go. So, you know, you need to understand what some of those things are going to be. The other part of this class is wouldn't it be nice to know that you have the skills necessary to use deadly force? And, Bob, here's the other kicker. You know, wouldn't it be great to have an expert witness to be able to testify? Yes, Your Honor. I know for a fact that this gentleman right here has the skills to do these things because I have it documented right here that he did it for me on this date in northwest Arkansas and that he was very responsible in the way he did this. So, no, I don't think this was negligent. The things that prepare you for, well, great, I have the right to carry a gun now. I have a concealed carry permit. But what is the next thing beyond that? And that's really what this is. It's not a competition class. It's not... You know, how do I get better? How do I shave a second off this? Or how do I do that? But rather, you know, how do I protect myself? How do I protect myself once I've used deadly force? And how am I prepared to respond to that? So that's really it in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that's the most important benefit, actually. I really do. I mean, not to take anything away from the actual shooting part of the class, but to be able to have an expert witness on your side that said, hey, this person came through my training, and and I know that they know what they're doing because they came through my training and I witnessed it. I think that's powerful. Well, Bob, let me just give you something. Maybe this is a freebie here, but I'd like to throw this out because it was a it was a game changer for me. You know, there's a test almost across the entire United States that goes like this. What would a normal and reasonable person do knowing what the defendant knew at the time? Well, wouldn't it be great to be able to document what you knew from your training at that time so you could introduce that in a court and document that to everyone else and educate them with what you knew? 
Yeah. That's part of this class that is part of your defense should you ever have to use deadly. The police have it. When they go through the police academy, they have a documented training jacket so they can go to court and say, you know, I knew that with that knife, he could cover that ground in so many feet because it was in my training. Well, yeah. now you can prove it to the jury that, oh, I wasn't just trigger happy, but I knew he could do this. And you can document that to them. But if it's something you knew after the incident, you can't introduce that in court. So, yeah, very good point. So this is one of those things where it's kind of like you put everything you know into a sock and you get it where you can open that sock up in court and say, you know, I've been carrying this around for a while. Take a peek in here and see what I know. See what I knew in this circumstance to be true. So, John, how much of the class is lecture and how much is on the range? Bob, it's probably about, I would say, 60 to 65% classroom. Okay. And the balance is range work. Okay. And that's good. I, I really like that because I need that classroom work. I really do. You know, Bob, I'll tell you this. I go to a couple of these a year and I help train. And the last one, Mass was really, um, you know, he, he really let me kind of work the range most of the time. And I enjoy working the range. I enjoy helping people learn to shoot. I enjoy working out problems. And it's something I enjoy doing. So, you know, I'm passionate about it. And he was very generous to let me, let me uh, take that on. What I will tell you is, is I sit in that class, and after going a couple of times a year, Bob, whether it's the questions that come out in the class, whether it's seeing material again, whether it's rereading something, I can tell you unequivocally, I walk away with several pages of notes just from you know, reviewing what, um, you know, what, what is being presented again and again and again. And, you know, so I can tell you that it's one of those things. It's, it's sort of like you just, it's pure knowledge and you go in there and go, this is great. You know, this is really preparing me. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I'm looking forward to most about this is, you know, being around somebody with masses expertise as far as what to do after after a shoot, I mean, you know, there's there's no one better, and I'm looking forward to that. So anybody who's thinking to get in the, to to about going to this class, you know, I just want to say this: I'd like to encourage people that no matter how good of a shooter you are, no matter how good you think you are, that there's always something to be learned by being around someone like Mass, who for what over 30 years has been defending people. You know, Bob, I'm going to share this with you. I think Mass is a great resource. The thing that I enjoy the most about him is um, as much as he knows, as much as he conveys, you know, he's always a student of his craft, and he's always updating it and bringing something fresh to it, and yet he's still got that longevity, that that long span at looking at something. Now, I'm going to tell you something else, let you know a little secret, a little teaser here. Um, Mass pretty much has guests that he brings into these classes that are local guests. Well, I've actually arranged two of the guests, and I can tell you without giving away their names or what they do. One of them uh, that's coming in is uh, a former prosecutor who's prosecuted murder cases and who also sits in as a judge. So be a good resource to ask someone who's prosecuted how they view particular things. Oh, absolutely. The other one is a police lieutenant, and... He's going to talk about what the police do when they investigate any kind of shooting, whether it's self-defense, whether it's a homicide, whether it's gang-related. He's going to say, from a police standpoint, this is how we look at it, and this is how you can expect to be treated, and this is what's going to happen. 
even if you shoot someone inside your home. This is what's going to happen to you. Because they're sort of like, we all think we know. And then I ask people, how do you know that? Well, um, well, I read it on the internet. Yeah, I saw it on TV. Barnaby yeah. Jones, you know, the old <laughs> Barnaby Jones did this. Well, no, that's not how it's going to work. Right. And so he's going to say, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen. You know, th- we're going to take your gun away from you. You know, we're going to take it. Get used to it. No, you're not taking my gun. Oh, yeah, we are. You yeah, know? you are. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things I think will really be interesting in this class. And again, you know, Bob, I, I look at it this way. You know, I, I know you're good. You, you know, you shoot, you're competitive, you you take your craft seriously. And I'm sort of with you. You know, the shooting is uh, full. It's nice to be able to go to the range and shoot, you know. Yeah. But I also say this. This is a great class to take your wife to if you really want her to be able to know that she can defend herself and when she should defend herself, this is the class to take her to because really all someone needs is some basic gun safety and we will teach them how to get proficient enough with a handgun that they can defend themselves in a violent encounter. Yeah, and that's I think that's huge. So May 17th through the 21st, so it's four days long, right? Yes, it we, is. Uh, do we get started like on Thursday morning? What will happen is is this. You will start Thursday morning probably at, oh, 7.30, mm-hmm. and you will get done at about 7.30 every evening. 7.30 in the evening on Thursday? Uh, every day. Uh, every day. Okay, so it's going to go from 7.30 in the morning on Thursday to about 7.30 on Sunday. Yes. Okay. And you'll bring a sack lunch, and you'll work through lunch. Okay. And good. when you get done, your mind's full, trust me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's one of those things that every day you're you start early, you end late, and there's you know, there's plenty of water breaks and potty breaks and stuff, but it's it's there's no downtime. Okay, about how many rounds are we gonna shoot? Uh I think the class says to bring five hundred rounds of ammunition with you. 500 rounds of ammo, okay. And just your quality handgun, quality holster, and a couple mag pouches, right? Um you want a quality holster, quality mag pouches, exactly right. You want at least one handgun. I recommend two handguns. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of handguns go down in these classes. And, Bob, honestly, I've actually seen a Glock go down, if you can believe it. No. Yes. Yeah. I've seen 1911s choke, too, Bob. Whoa, 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 whoa. John Hottaway has seen Glocks and 1911s choke. Only Kimbers, though. Only Kimbers. Oh, oh, oh. No. Ooh, ooh. Okay. We're getting brand specific, aren't seen, we? I have seen all manner of guns go through the class without any problem, <laughs> and I've seen all manner of guns need to be fixed. Okay? Okay. So what I'm telling you is, is 500 rounds is a good testing, you know, for a lot of people who don't shoot 500 rounds, a lot of ammunition. So I recommend bringing two handgun, two complete handguns with magazines, mag pouches, and holsters, and 500 rounds of ammunition. If they're different calibers, bring 500 rounds for each, and right. that way you know that you can finish up the class. Now, with that said, Bob, I've never seen anyone not be able to finish the class for lack of not coming up with a gun or ammunition. Typically, you know, gun people are like, oh, maybe let me get you a different gun and here's some ammunition here's you know usually the the guns and gear start showering out when someone has a problem and needs some help so absolutely well i'm going to be driving up there and i'll bring probably three or four firearms with me yeah and 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 that's the thing too now one other thing i want to tell you rain or shine we shoot so so bring some rain gear if you need knee pads bring knee pads you know you're going to be shooting on your knees you're going to be shooting on both knees one knee um, you know, bring sunscreen, bug screen, hats, you know, whatever it is you think you're, 
and um, you know, be ready to in you know, in ears and eyes, obviously, and um, you know, be ready to come come and uh, learn. And I suggest up, um, but if you take notes better with pen and paper, you know, that's fine too. They will not bring your camera, but no video or audio recording during classroom sessions. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure we'll get some good audio out at the range, though, too. Oh, yeah. Now, you can take all the video you want at the range. There's there's plenty of opportunities to take video, and okay. that's fine. That's not any issue. But just in the classroom when they're discussing the uh, legal issues and things going on, one of the things I want to say, Bob, and I've actually adopted this from my personal training, is Mass will not let anyone take this class unless they've had a background check documented either by a records check um, and a letter from an attorney or CCW, so or military ID. So, because they're going to discuss a lot of things, he doesn't want to give someone a lesson on how to kill someone and get away with it. Okay, so if we have a concealed carry license, we're covered. You're covered, and you can okay. and you can carry in the classroom too. But people who don't have a concealed carry license need to show evidence of a background check. Correct, and there's a number of different ways, and it's all on the material to sign up. Or had anyone who couldn't, you know, if they wanted to, there's always a way to get the records check done. Usually you go to your local sheriff or state police or whatever, and it's 15 bucks, and they'll do the record check and give you a letter, and that's all we need. Yeah, cool. All right, so northwest Arkansas, that airport's in, it's near Fayetteville, isn't it? Uh, actually, a little north of Fayetteville. It's closer to Bentonville or Rogers than Fayetteville. Okay, so it's closer to Bentonville and Rogers. Yep. So about how far, about how far from the airport uh, uh, will it take to drive to the, uh, to the course? Uh, the range is five miles from the airport. The range is five miles from Northwest Arkansas Airport. Yes. Okay. Now uh, there might be some folks, depending on where they're coming from. Little Rock might be a closer, more economical airport, right? Uh, probably the most, the, the the best one if you want to get a cheaper airport is I would say Tulsa, Oklahoma is about oh, yeah. is about an hour and a half, and that's actually closer and probably cheaper than Little Rock. Yeah, okay. That's right. I forgot about that. Tulsa's probably going to be. And then Branson is about an hour and a half. That's a little private airport, mm-hmm. and they're pretty cheap out of there. Okay. So for all the private pilots listening to this, uh, they'll be able to fly into Branson. Well, that now private, I would say there's a Rogers or Bentonville, either one. But they've got the, uh, I think they got Frontier out of uh, Branson. Okay. And so it's a it's got some inexpensive flights, about the equivalent of Southwest, which is what's in and out of Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa, I was going to say, for the people that like to use Southwest and get the bargains, to, they can go into Tulsa. Yep. Okay, good. Man, this is, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, I think this is going to be a fantastic experience. I hope I get, a, get to meet a lot of people that listen to this show, too. I, I think people just, they need to get there. A MAG-40 class uh, it does not come along all that often. How, how many of these does MAG do, or does, does MASS do? You know, if you look on his webpage, I would say the MAG-40 classes, he probably does six or eight of these a year, and that's about it, scattered across the country. Now, yeah. I know that the last time he was in northwest Arkansas, I want to say it was about 10 years ago when I had him in. So I think it was 2002 or 2003 was the last time I had him in. And uh, he taught in Lincoln, which was right outside of Fayetteville at that time. And he hadn't been to Arkansas since then to teach class. So if he's only doing six to eight per year, come on, folks, uh, this is your chance. Well, Bob, one thing I'm going to say, and and I want to be as clear as I can be about this, if I had to sell a gun to come to this class, I would. If I had to, you know, give up something, I would. And I've got to tell you that when I first took this class, I could not imagine that 
this was expensive. Was it really worth it? And I had a friend of mine that kind of drug me to it. And I got to say, it was the best training money I have ever spent. And I've spent plenty of money on training, Bob. This is the best money you will ever spend on training. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. So Night, NighthawkCustomTraining.com, folks. Go there and, uh, and get signed up. Um, what else do you want to tell us about the course before we move on to the next subject, John? Well, the only other thing I wanted to say is this, Bob. The information is on the web page. Um, you know, they can be happy to contact me. What I, and, Bob, I was going to ask if you do this, is maybe let's open a thread up on the uh, board about this, specific yes. to MAG-40. Uh, and what I'll do is, uh, between you and I, maybe we can, you know, make an effort to answer any questions and keep everything up to date. And I'll try to also note on there when the registration is getting really close that, uh, you know, it's about to close off so no one gets surprised. Yes, I will start a thread. As soon as this show airs, I'll start a thread on the Gun Rights Radio Network forum on the Handgun World Show section. So to everybody listening to this, if you're not on that forum, uh, you can look at that thread, but you're going to be kind of limited to how many looks you get. So just join the forum, be part of the group, and, uh, and check out the thread that we're going to uh, dedicate to this class. Okay. So good. All right, that's that's cool. Now, the next subject is, John, you wanted to talk about the IDPA world shoot, didn't you? I did. I did. I wanted to take a few minutes and talk about that. Uh, it was held in, uh, you know, in Frostproof, Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I got to start out with this. You know, um, it was a great facility, uh, except when the water was about 24 inches deep running down the center of it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we got, I shot the first couple of days with the ROs, and it literally, the first day, rained so hard that there was 24 inches of water running down the center of the range. And then after that, to say 100% humidity, I liked the air where you could just see it walk through it. I mean, it was like getting slapped in the face when you got out of the car. So it was a little bit humid, and then we ha- I don't know if you've ever been to Florida and seen what what they call love bugs down there, but they're little bugs that apparently when they mate, they hook together and fly around together, and they're like, um, I don't know, like locusts, and they were in full um, fervor there. So it was kind of an interesting match. The weather was, uh, weather was not cooperating when we shot it, but with all that said, I thought it was a mm-hmm. great match. Um, we, uh, there was certainly not for lack of shooting there. There was tons of stages to shoot, lots of really um, interesting things that I've never – I think IDPA has finally begun to come into some of its own in terms of um, using the rules to keep it sane, still allowing the shooter to solve the problems as they come up rather than just directing you do this, do this, do this, do this. There was a number of ways to solve the problem on several stages. And uh, very creative uses of, you know, cover and movers and simulating things. I mean, it was still a game, but, uh, but it was a pretty fun game, and it still played by the rules. And I got to shoot with some of the best people in the whole world. Uh, I got to watch some of the best people in the whole world shoot. And uh, what I was going to tell you was Nighthawk was very generous and provided an exhibition bay for the team. And what we did as a team is we... Um, brought down a bunch of Nighthawk pistols, and mm-hmm. we had three targets. Um, one of them was at three yards, one of them was yards, and one of them was at eight yards. Did you say three and five and eight? Yes, three, five, okay. and eight yards. And then there was a two-inch hole in the center of the target, 
And inside that two-inch hole was a one-inch bullseye, okay? And everything that was not within that two-inch hole was covered with money. So the one, the close target had $5 bills on it, and the middle target had $10 bills on it, and the eight-yard target had $20 bills on it. And so what happened is you got to shoot our gun, our ammunition, or your gun and your ammunition at the target. And if you clipped one of the bills, you got to down and put it in the pot for Wounded Warrior with a fresh one. Okay, we had a connection problem there. If you shot one of the bills, what happened? If you shot one of the bills, you took it down, you put it in the bucket and donated it to Wounded Warrior and took a fresh one out of your wallet and put it in its place. Very cool, very cool. So, That's good. So, um, you know, with all that said, Bob, we raised $700 for Wounded Warrior with that. And, awesome. And then we gave away three prizes. We had um, 50% off any Nighthawk Custom 1911 handgun you wanted. So you got to buy it for half price, which is about a $1,500 discount on a top-end gun. Then we had a $500 off certificate and a 40% off any accessories. So we gave those away. And um, everybody got to shoot some guns, you know, so we had a pretty good time. And I just uh, wanted to thank IDPA for letting us do that, thank Nighthawk for sponsoring us. And uh, we're going to have a little article, I think, in the Tactical Journal with a little check to the uh, Wounded Warriors for what we did for them, which, you know, the way I look at it, Bob, they've done a whole lot for us, and it was just the least we could do for them. Yeah, okay, so uh, your explanation begs this question. Yes. What gun did you shoot? Well, For the uh, for the match or for the uh, contest? Not for, well, both. Tell us about both. Well, for the uh, for the match, I shot a, a single stack uh, Nighthawk 1911 in nine millimeter, mm-hmm. and um, it it ran really well. I gotta gotta kind of come clean and say, you know, Bob, I didn't do my best work. I actually had a um, Okay, I'm going to say it. I was shooting factory Winchester white box ammunition because I didn't get a chance to reload. Yeah. And I had a round that did not go off. And unfortunately, it was on the stage where they had all the disappearing targets. And I was down um, 29 points because when the round went off, I had to miss the disappearing targets. And, it, and one thing led to another. And so it was kind of brutal, which led for me coming in 17th. And you shot in the ESP division. Yes, ESP. So you came in at the IDPA World Championship. You came in 17th in the ESP division. That is correct. Who won ESP? Uh, let's see. Well, I'll tell you this. Let me tell you what's important. Yeah. I shot it in about 404. 404 what? 440 seconds was my total score. Okay. Bob Vogel beat everyone and shot it in like 240 seconds. Wow. Yeah, I think the next close, 300 and something. So Bob apparently is like a shooting machine. I mean, I, 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 I can't figure it out, but this guy dropped like, you know, 14 points the whole match and, you know, shot it that quick. He's a machine. I mean, this yeah. guy is, and he's not even come into his prime yet, I don't think. So 240 seconds for him, and the next closest was 300 seconds? Yeah, 300-something seconds, yeah. And you were at 440? Yeah. In ESP? Yeah. Wow, that's so, so, so Bob Vogel won ESP. No, Vogel won the whole match. Vogel won the whole match? Yes. Oh, so Bob Vogel is the IDPA world champion. Oh, yeah, Bob Vogel is the world champion. There's no question about that. How did Savigny do? 
Uh, Savigny didn't show up, as a matter of fact. Oh, Dave didn't shoot. No, Dave didn't shoot. And, you know, the thing is, let me put it this way. Okay, just let me give you the actual one. Bob shot it in 248-29, okay, with 30 points total down. What was he shooting, do you know? What kind of gun? Glock. Glock, Probably a Glock 34, right? I think it was a Glock 34. A 9mm Glock 34. Yeah. He was, okay. It was either that or 17. I'm not sure which. It was 18, though. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, Vogel's got a new trigger out there that he's um, someone's building putting in with his name on it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, was uh, was Latham there? No. No, Latham wasn't there. I'll tell you. I'll, let me read you some names that were there. Um, you know, David Owasso was there. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Martin. He's a big-time Wilson shooter. Um, Tom Yost, Smith & Wesson shooter. Uh, let's see who else was there that was... Was there a guy named Gordon Carroll there? Gordon Carroll. Yeah, I think so. Let me just... Yeah, Gordon Carroll. He was fourth overall. He sh- yeah, I've I've shot with Gordon. I shot with him at the Texas State IDPA let me, uh, last summer. Let me put it in perspective. Gordon shot a three sixteen compared mm-hmm. to a two forty eight for Bob. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, does that kind and, of... And, yeah, and Gordon Carroll is a pretty darn good shooter, too. He's a great shooter. He's a great shooter. And he came wow. in just behind Greg Martin, you know. So, I mean, what I, what I guess I'm getting at, though, is, is you know, those guys, I don't understand. Those are the ones where you go, like, they're playing pro football and, you know, we're playing in the backyard. You know, that's the difference. Yeah, but, John, i got to compliment you. 17th? Out of the best shooters in the world, that's pretty good, man. Well, not good enough, you know. We and but and I want to give it, I want to say a couple of things about the match. Great officiating. I mean, these ROs worked their butts off. They were they were great to deal with. They were hardworking. You know, the match director. Um, you know, those guys worked their butts off. The IDPA staff was there. They worked their butts off. You know, and figured out through the rain, through the weather, through everything going on, how to have a great match. And you know, that's what I'm saying, too, is is that this sport has come into its own. And I think um, I think anybody who's not participating because they've heard something and haven't tried it should really come out and try some of these bigger matches. I know sometimes on the local level, you know, the clubs kind of tend to, hey, look, I put on a match. Sometimes I want to go out there. I'm more worried about getting it set up, tearing it down, getting everything thrown away so I can go do you know mow the yard so the wife is happy yeah yeah so that sometimes is not our best work but some of these major matches phenomenal some of the stuff they're doing and like i said i've been shooting idpa for about 12 years now and it's really cranking out big time and this was a great match and you know i gotta admit though steve koski did beat mm-hmm. me you know koski beat you huh koski had a great match i shot a few stages with him and he had a great match koski yeah well i heard he's one of the idpa gurus uh he is he is he's a good shooter yeah. and he was out at the mag 40 class and you know he's he's a great shooter and good guy now the only question is though is you know he's an engineer mechanical engineer and i just couldn't figure out why he couldn't go ahead and go to school and be a real engineer that's the only thing I could <laughs> oh, 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 oh that's pretty good all right yeah good. yeah good one there good one there well that's cool uh you know was that the first time that idpa had a a world championship match that is tr- that's the very first time they've had all the teams in and oh by the way you know it's yeah. like the usa obviously won the match mm-hmm. but there was like seven or eight other teams that fielded a complete team there, Bob. So it's pretty uh, pretty incredible 
the the shooters throughout the world that came in to shoot. So it's kind of like the IDPA Olympics. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, cool. Kind of like that. Well, uh, where's the, where's next year's IDPA World Shoot? You know, they have not announced where it's going to be, but based on the uh, match director, I think it may be in North Carolina. Okay. So that's where I think it may be next year. But they may have it in the same spot. Typically, they have it in the same spot for two years, and then they move it. So I would guess that we would probably see it in Frostproof, Florida again, but we may see it in the Carolinas. Okay, so. cool. Well, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of press coming out about it uh, next year, probably four or five months before it happens, I'll bet. I, I think so, too, and I also think this, Bob. You know, it's one of those things that everybody who competes should try to make it to a world shoot or a national shoot, be it IPSC, be it IDPA, be it i You know, it's one of those things where it's like we participate in a sport where you can do that. And mm-hmm. I, And I've got to tell you that when I was there – you know, I walked up and had a conversation with you know, Jerry Mishlack. Hey, he, he talked to you. You know, I shot with Mossad, and lots of people came up and talked to him. You know, I I can tell you that walked up to Bob, shook his hand. Hey, Bob, you know, great great job on the Ibsen Nationals. You know, nicest guy. You know, I've talked to him a bunch. You can meet your heroes of shooting, and they will talk to you. They'll answer your questions. You know, they want to talk about shooting, and they want to. Then they're nice folks. And so it's one of those things that you should make it a priority at least once to go and compete in one of these things and see what it's like. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's that's so key, what you said, is because, you know, so many shooters, even the top-level shooters in the whole world, they're just such nice people. are. And, you know, the other thing is they want to answer your questions. They want to talk about guns. I mean, I'll tell right. you something. You know, Michael up in our booth and we probably talked for 30 minutes about stuff that was on his podcast and mm-hmm. we talked about you know different stuff and i mean he was just like you know hey he was just a guy there shooting the match and that's you say michael michael bain michael bain yeah yeah you know, yeah it's great you know so I, I would encourage everybody i guess what i'm really trying to say is you know bob it's something that everyone should do once at least and experience yeah. it Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll even try to make the IDPA. Heck, I've never actually been to an IDPA national. I probably need to do a national first. Well, I, I would tell you this. You know, go to your state match. Those are easy mm-hmm. to get into. Oh, yeah. Go to your state match. Once you go to a major match like that, you go, you know what? This is the same stuff I shoot every week. It's just a bunch more people, a bunch more stages, better props, better officiating, better scoring. Hey, I like shooting it anyway. It's even better now. But I tell you this, I will say this, when I, when I shot the Double Tap Championship uh, earlier this summer, the USPSA match, you know, I've shot USPSA before, not as much as IDPA, but I noticed a much higher level of speed at that match than I found at my local match. You know, Bob, that's, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's kind of funny because I, I will, what I find happens is this. We get in a rut where we compete against, and I'll throw it out here, there's Joe over there. I'm going to beat Joe. But you know yeah. what? Jim Bob over here, he's going to beat me. Well, we go in with our expectations of what's going to happen. So you know what we're doing? Mentally, we're going, well, i got to shoot better than Joe and less than Jim Bob. So that's our governor. You know, either good or bad, that's what we're doing. Well, mm-hmm. we go to these major matches. It's the same thing. It's just now we got to push and we don't have these governors to, to rabbit us with. 
high and right low. because you, you don't you don't know most of the people there exactly or you've never shot against them exactly and that's and that's what yeah. the difference here is you know it's not there are not a different set of rules there's not something you're going to see there that oh my gosh I've never seen anything like this in my whole life you know it's not like right. they're gonna it's not like on top shots they're not going to strap you into a, a, a rappelling harness and send you down a zip line you know that's not going to happen <laughs> but what is going to happen is they're going to put a whole bunch of stages there so that you go can I keep this together you know for a day or two rather mm -hmm. than can I put it together for two stages or three stages or four stages for my local match right right I just kind of noticed more of an amped up pace when I was at that match. Same with the uh, with the Texas State IDPA Championship last year. It just seemed like a, a local match that was turned up about two notches. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you're going you're gonna to sense that. But after you've shot them for a while, you'll be the yeah. guy at the local match going, yeah, the, yeah, we're, we're going a little slow here. I'm this gonna, is kind of slow, yeah. I'm going to crank it up here, yeah. You know, well, that's cool. It's like anything else. If you, you know, I know this. I'm not very good at a lot of other sports, but you know, if I play golf with bad golfers, it doesn't make me play better. But if I play golf with good golfers, it makes me at least play the best game I've got. Yeah. And yeah, shooting exactly is the right. same way. Well, just about anything is the same way. If you want to get better, you got to compete with better people. You know, people with more skill level. Yep, exactly right. And, you know, Bob, one thing I was thinking, um, and, and I would was going to kind of transition into this, but I think it's appropriate now, is – you know, I had heard a couple of your shows where, you know, you talked about rules, and I've heard um, one of your emails actually really cracked me up. I was driving down the road, and I almost laughed and ran into a truck. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was the one about three old women bitching about the garden or something. <laughs> well, that was I was repeating a, a comment from a listener who said we sounded like about three old ladies complaining about the neighbor's flower garden. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> When we were complaining about the rules. And, you know, I know you want to say something about rules. I just want to say I want to add something because I haven't had a chance to do that. Yeah. That whole show was meant to complain about the rules. Yeah. That's pretty much what we were kind of, what Rick and Steve and I were trying to do. Did you listen to that show? You know what, Bob? i got to tell you, I listened to that show, but it was one night and I was, uh, you know, sometimes I listen to podcasts because I want to hear what's being said. And sometimes I listen to podcasts because it puts me to sleep so I can go to bed. Uh-oh, was that the one that put you to sleep? Well, I was listening to it on purpose to go to sleep. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, John. No, 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 you understand. I mean, it's like I have to do something to shut my mind off at night. So oh, okay. if I find a podcast or something that I enjoy, I can keep listening to it. And then when that guy said that y'all were like three old ladies gripping about the the flower garden, you know, I thought, wow, you know, that, that was kind of funny too. So... Um, it all, I mean, when, when I heard that line, I, I really did. I almost laughed and ran into a truck. And I think he was like, what's, what's going on with this guy? Well, I'm glad I didn't make you have an accident. No, no. <laughs> but, Bob, what I wanted to kind of transition to is this. I was actually at the World Shoot. I don't know. Um, John May, who's actually the, I think he's like the sales, you know, like VP of sales or whatever at Wilson Combat, Okay. And he's been shooting since dirt, and I and he's probably been shooting as long as I have. And we were talking, and I said, you know, what's funny is, uh, I said, really and truly, I think there's a lot of thing, a lot of rules that we have that people just don't understand why those rules exist. And he said, you know, John, he said that's a great point. 
And I, I, I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, I think if people understood, and I've got a couple of examples of why things are the way they are. It doesn't make them right. It doesn't mean we shouldn't change them. But what it means is, is that when you understand why something is, it gives you a better appraisal uh, how we got here and why maybe we don't do something different about it. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to hearing this. Okay. Let me, let me talk you through kind of what was that IDPA came out of. Um, used to be that there was practical shooting, and then practical shooting became uh, IPSC, and IPSC spawned USPSA. Now, that order may be out of line here a little bit, but IPSC is the international body. USPSA is the uh, United States affiliate of that. And what that really did is it took what Colonel Cooper did with the leather slap and practical shooting and codified it into a sport. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time Cooper brought all this into being, Bob, there was a lot of things that really it was like a race to find the outer limits of what could be done with a handgun. Now, mm-hmm. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about, and I want to give you a couple of experiences, and then I want to say this is why IDPA was started. When I started shooting um, in 77, you had a couple of classes and divisions that worked like this. You had two kinds of guns. You had automatics and you had revolvers. Within those, you had two divisions, major and minor. So if you had a revolver, it could be major or minor. And if you had an auto, it could be major or minor. Other than that, everything shot the same. So if I brought up a 13-shot Browning High Power, mm-hmm. or if I brought up, at the time, a 9-shot Colt uh, a millimeter, they shot exactly the same, even though they had different round capacities in the magazine. So that was the only divisions. Then you had A... B, C, D, and um, what was considered at that time novice shooters. And the only way you got to move up was by your percentage rankings at the match, how you finished was determined whether you were A, B, C, or D, or novice. And to get from novice to D class, I think it was C, they didn't even have D, you had to win novice to be moved to C class. So there were no classifiers like no, we have today? No, You shot the match, and your percentage of that match, it was Lewis flighting, determined where you were at. Okay. Now, there also was no shot timers. You had a whistle to start you and a stopwatch when he thought you fired the last shot. So, now, <laughs> what I want to convey here is that was the best we had, and damn, it was much better than whatever else existed before that. It was yeah, good. Okay. Here's the stage. All of a sudden, there became the gun race. So here's what happens. Now you have people, and they start experimenting with this gun and that gun and this gun and that gun. Well, guess what? There's only autos, revolvers, major, or minor. So if you're a major auto, do anything you want to the gun. Literally, if you did not buy and build the latest and greatest innovation on that gun every year, you could not be competitive. It was not a shooting race. It was an equipment race. 
Okay. So what I want you to understand is, Bob, literally, and when John May and I were talking about this, he said, you know, I remember one season I bought a gun mid-season so I could continue to be competitive. I can tell you that every year I shot, I had a new gun in the works with the latest comp that would be on the gun, the latest sights that would be on the gun, the latest magwell, the latest beveling, the double stack this, the special trigger, the, you know, this porting, that whatever. I mean, every year you had to buy a new gun because if you were trying to shoot a, a you know, a, at the time, you know, seven rounds in the magazine on a 1911 and some guy had a double stack para whatever, you know, or a, a hybrid this or a detonics that, you couldn't be competitive because they were doing less reloads. Literally, your leather. When I started, you know, there were guys that wore like what looked like a cowboy rig with a thigh strap to it, and they made this rule that you had to do a somersault, um, and your gun and gear couldn't fall out because things were so loosey goosey and flopping around and stuff. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> it also turned into a foot race where you might have to shoot 50 yards, run 50 yards, shoot 50 yards, run 50 yards. Well, if you're not in great shape, you can't do that. Well, that sounds like fun. Well, you know, until you start wheezing, you know. Until you start wheezing, yeah. You know, or if you got a bad knee, it's not so fun. Exactly. Well, so now you got all these guns that are coming up, and the average guy cannot walk into a gun store, buy a gun, and come shoot the sport. You can't do it. Yeah, so that's where the stock service pistol was born, yeah. probably, right? Yeah, so here's what happens. Bill Wilson, the colonel, you know, all these other people come together. Ken Hackathorn, you know, uh, Larry Vickers, they all come together and they say, you know what, we need a sport that the average guy can go buy a gun and shoot, shooting not about running and not about the equipment race. So doing so they clamp down on the modifications they clamp down on the rules and they they really tightened them down and said you can't do a bunch of stuff here that is not tactically sound because the practical shooting had gotten away from practical mm -hmm. okay so all of a sudden now people go well you know you have to slice the pie and use cover well, guess what? You know why they have sliced the pie and used cover? Is because there was one hated thing that was in Ipsic was called the foot fault line. You ever heard of that one? Oh, yeah. Okay, now tell me. I shoot around and my foot is on top of the foot fault. Don't get a procedural, but if it goes over and touches the ground on the other side, that's a procedural for every round fired, right? Mm -hmm. hey, they said that's that's crazy. We don't need foot faults. You should not have to watch where your feet are to determine if the shots can be made or not. It should be course design rather than just laying boards on the ground. So, you know, that was one of the things they changed. Now, they gave you cover instead of foot faults, for instance. So you look at that. And now, the fact of the matter is, is Ipsic began losing shooters left and right. So what they did is they came out with the production division. They came out with single stack. They came out with limited 10. You know, they came out with all these other things. Now, there's one little other thing. Do you remember what happened, oh, say, when Bill Clinton was president in 1994? Uh, something about a ban, I think. Okay. Here's what happened. This is one yeah. of the reasons that IDPA made such sense with the magazine limits and the gun limits and that sort of stuff was – Ipsic got to the point that you could not be competitive with a 10-round gun. They didn't have L10. They didn't have production at the time. So you know what happened? Mm -hmm. You would go to a gun, sh uh, gun match, and one table 
a guy would be selling magazine bodies that are quote-unquote replacement only. In other words, I've got one, it's damaged, I'm going to throw this away, wink, wink, and reuse this one. Then the next table over, his buddy would be selling magazine parts. So you get it, instead of buying a high-capacity magazine that would be against the law, mm-hmm. you bought all the parts and put one together yourself, which was still against the law, but face of it. You had a sport yeah. that, to be competitive, you were making criminals out of your contestants. Yeah, well, that's not good. Well, that's one of the reasons that we have a 10-round mag limit in IDPA, even though modern handguns will hold 15, 17, 18 rounds, and they come with those magazines. Right. You, so what I, I guess I want to say is, yeah, we all got rules. I don't agree with all of them either. I think there's some silly ones in both sports, and I can point them out. But remember that there was a time where it was kind of the Wild West out there. And what Bill did was take these rules, take the sport, and really take it back to what it was before, which was pistol craft, learning your pistol craft. The average guy could go out here, buy a gun. Let's face it. I could walk into any gun store in America. I could pick up half a dozen guns for under, certainly under $700, including Mm -hmm. sales tax. And buy a holster, buy mag pouches for $700, walk out and go shoot the sport, right? Would you agree with that, Bob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Now, put that in comparison that in today's dollars, to do the same thing in IBSIC in today's dollars would be $6,000. Probably. Now, how many people want to spend $6,000 to see if they like a new sport? Not me. Well, that's why IDPA has some of the rules they have. Now, IPSC has responded, and they have classes you can do the same thing, which I think is great. I think the more people we have shooting, Bob, the better off we are. Oh, absolutely. Now, you know what? Can I ask you here something about the rules? Sure, go ahead. Uh, let me get your opinion on this. And, and again, I'm going to take a risk of sounding like a little old lady complaining about the neighbor's flower garden, okay? With this magazine business... <laughs> Okay, this assault weapons ban is over. It's been over a long time. High-capacity ban. Excuse me, I misspoke. The high-capacity magazine ban. It's been over for a long time. doesn't appear like it's coming back anytime soon. I would like to see IDPA change that rule to be something like this, something like a home field advantage in professional sports. Depending on where, what state the, mag, the match is taking place in, you play by that state's rules. So, for example, if you're in a state where they still can't own a magazine more than 10 rounds, then in IDPA in that state, you only lose 10 rounds. But in Texas, where we can have as many rounds as we want, we should be able to shoot IDPA that way. What do you think? You know, okay, on a personal level, I think that makes a lot of sense. However, let me tell you what the rationale is. You ready? Mm-hmm. And, and bear with me because I'm going to get to an answer. The sport to be sanctioned, to be sanctioned, and to have the coverage, if you will, of a sanctioning body has to have certain standards that go across the board. So, for instance, no matter what country, no matter what state, no matter where you're at, the range commands are always the same, and they're always given in English. Mm-hmm. 
What that means is, is that the safety procedures can always be followed, which means for insurance purposes, for club safety purposes, for everything, shooting IDPA, you know that these are always the same commands everywhere. Mm-hmm. The same set of rules apply internationally for IDPA, and that's the way that they want to make it so that course design can translate from home field to home field. Because if you had an 18-round course, you could potentially shoot that 18-round field course of fire without reloading, unless you made a mandatory reload in there, or, insert the next one, you couldn't do it with 10-round magazines, so you must reload. You can do it with course design, but you can't do it for the home field advantage. In other words... They're trying to make it so that there's not multiple sets of rules out there. That's well, the yeah, but yeah, I know that's the rationale, but it's still kind of stupid because I think because everybody can load up their magazines, so everybody has the chance to shoot an 18-round course without having to reload. All you've got to do is use a magazine that's got 19 or more rounds. I mean, every every single shooter has that same ability to do that if they were to change that rule. Uh, let me. Let's breach out and, 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 and go right into funny for just a minute, okay? Okay, let's go into funny. <laughs> okay, let's talk about IPSC for just a minute, okay? IPSC, <laughs> you have three things on magazines. You have Fitz Flush, you have 140, uh, was it 126, 140, 170 millimeter magazines, right? That's right, At yes. Stuff whatever you can stuff within those magazine body lengths and you're legal, Right. Right. But do you know what the rule is that you can only have how many rounds per array of targets? Do you know what their answer to that question is? That's in, in the rule Ipsic? book. Yeah. In Ipsic, there's a there's a rule that says for each array of targets that you front, you can only have how many rounds before you have to go to a new array of targets? Um, I, f- I think the answer is eight. Eight. Yeah. Now, what happens... When you have an eight-round array, an eight-round array, and an eight-round array, and you have an IPSC shooter, they drop magazines, you know, looking like a goat going across there after it's had a full meal. That's right. I mean, all you see is mag changes. What's the rule in IPSC? <laughs> if you're, if you're, you know, if you're shooting, that's great. If you're not shooting, you should be moving or reloading, right? That's exactly. So right. here's what yes. you have. You have rounds in the magazine they shoot eight they reload they shoot eight they reload they shoot eight right now i did that now bob you load as much as you want there and guess what because it's an eight round array that's what happens so that's what yeah. i say it's silly to me that on one way it's funny that we make fun of idpa for 10 rounds but yet we have an eight round array maximum in ipsic really I didn't look at it. I, you know, I've never looked at it that way. That's a good point. So, I mean, that's where I get at. It's like, really, you guys are poking fun at 10 rounds, but you can only have – I mean, I have stood – okay, David Hyden has been the match director for Nationals, I think, the last three years. David Hyden, home Ipsit club, is my club in Tawnytown, Arkansas, okay? Mm-hmm. Treasurer of that club. So I know David. I know his wife, Joy. And I can tell you that every time we have a course fired, David walks me through and reads me every rule that's violated or adhered to. I mean, he knows them. He sets them up for the nationals. So 
I'm like, okay, David, no problem. That's fine. Sure. We, we have 12 rounds here. I'd like to apologize on behalf of everyone that's shooting it. Now shut up and load your gun. Let's shoot. <laughs> so that's where I'm going with absurd and saying, well, great, but we'd still have some silly rule that you could only shoot 10 rounds before you reload. So load your magazines up, Bob, but you can only shoot 10 between loads. How's that? <laughs> I mean, that gives you what you want. But yeah. here's the other practical thing. When you become, when you design a course of fire, you got to have some limits on it, and here's what it boils down to. So let's say I let you put 18 rounds in your gun, right? Or 12 right. or 17 or whatever you want to put in there. How many rounds should there be in a course of fire? You know, how many rounds is enough or not enough or in a course of fire? Because then people start complaining, well, you're skewing it to this group or that group, and now, right. it's, now it's course design. So what I'm saying is, is it's sort of like, you know, hey, if I change from begonias to tulips in my garden are you still going to complain about it well <laughs> well since since i'm one of those little old ladies complaining about a neighbor's flower garden i guess i'm going to complain about your begonias i like tulips better okay okay we'll plant tulips <laughs> so so you know bob that's where i was getting at with is rules are rules but there's silliness in both games yeah there is well and let's all remember they are games they're games they're games you know, so bottom line, they're games. They're fun games, and they're excellent games to test your gun handling skills and to test your equipment, but they're still games. You know, Bob, one thing I'm going to point you back to MAG-40 here for just a second. Well, good, because I was going to ask a question about MAG-40 anyway. There, Go ahead. There's two things that you're going to find out about being a competitive shooter, and, and I'm challenging you right now to look and see if this is true, and then when we're done, answer this question. The first thing is you're going to watch people – who have never been on a timer before have to shoot on demand. Watch what happens and tell me that you don't believe that that stress is not real. That's the first thing because you're going to get a chance to see it sort of for the first time all over again, and you're going to watch what happens to people, and you're going to say, that's artificial stress, but it's real, and it's the, oh, yeah. and it's the same as a real live encounter. I've tried to make that point several times that, you know, just the stress of a timer is stress. Exactly. It's like you say, everybody's got to play until the timer goes beep, and then it's like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is that the shooting that you're going to get taught in MAG-40, it will apply in competitive situations, but it is not competitive or gaming in its nature. And that's one of the things that people go, well, you know, I use some of this stuff when I compete here. That's because it works. Mm -hmm. But it's not designed for a game. It's designed for what you need in real life. And that, I think, is the best kind of, let's use this word correctly, training. Training defined as you have a preset of requirements, you have an instructor, and you have an evaluation at some point that comprises timing and accuracy and scoring. That's what I define that training as to achieve a certain level. Competitiveness is I want to win, I want to lose, I'm here for something, but, you know, that that's it. This is training, not competition. Good point. Good point. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I want to ask one more question about MAG-40. Please. What gun are you going to train with at MAG-40? Well, I will probably shoot a... Um, Nighthawk 1911 in 45. You're going to go to your 45 instead of your 9mm? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Why, why is that? Well, 
I've actually this year I shot nothing but nine millimeter for competition, mm-hmm. and I shot ESP. And I think that I'm going to make 2012 the year of CDP and single stack for John. So I'm going to shoot 45 for 2012 for a whole year. Okay, so you're going to do CDP for an entire year. Yeah, and and and, and uh, well, you know, single stack CDP. So I'll shoot IPSC CDP, IDPA CDP, and IPSC. I'll shoot single stack major. Is what I'll shoot. Okay. Now, I have this little thing, Bob, and I've done this for a number of years. Is I pick out a gun at the beginning of that year, and I shoot that gun in competition for nothing. Carry something that generally has the same controls mm-hmm. for that whole period of time. So mm-hmm. I don't change guns mid-year. I may, you know, change something about the guns, but I don't go from say a Sig to a 1911 to an M&P all in the same year. That way, you know, I'm building the muscle memory. I'm building, you know, that that relationship with that gun for that whole year. And then at the end of the year, I decide what I'm going to shoot for the next year. Like Steve Zofi did when he decided to shoot his Glock 19 for an entire year. Yeah, exactly. And then, and, and then I copied him. In the mortal words of Masada Yub, John, you're a gun slut. And, <laughs> and you need, you know, nothing wrong with that, but you just, you know... So I'm the kind of guy that will go fall in love, buy a new gun, and stick it in my holster and do that every month. You know, the guy who says you can only have one gun a month, I think that's a goal, not a record, you know, not not the maximum. You know, it's like <laughs> Yeah, that would be my goal, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm committing to buy one gun a month. I want you to know that. So, I, wouldn't that be nice? Yes. So uh, you know, so Bob, I'm gonna commit to a year and I've pretty much decided I'm a, I'm 99. percent I'm giving myself a little bit of wiggle room because I haven't talked to my sponsor yet, but I'm 99 percent sure that I'm going to be 100 percent 1911 45 for 2012, and that's what I'll have on at the mat at uh, mat 40. What about you? And so and so it'll be uh, it'll be uh, Nighthawks. Correct. Correct. Okay. Well, at least for part of the the. Uh, the Mag 40, it's going to be my Glock 19, but I'm going to go ahead and throw out a surprise to all the listeners. Uh, I'm going to show up with a different gun at Mag 40 that I'm going to use at least part of the time, and I'm not going to tell anybody what it is. They'll just have to wait and see. Ooh, ooh. Will you get to see pictures and stuff from Mag 40, you think, of it? You'll get to see pictures of it. It'll be a different firearm. It will not be a Glock 19. It will not be my trusty Glock 19. I know it's your favorite gun, but, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be my trusty G19. It will be something else. You know, hey, I got to tell you a little something that we do sometimes, and, and Mass yeah. and I'll do this at times is um, we'll get down to shooting the pace setter for the students, where mm-hmm. basically the staff goes up in front and we shoot what you're about to shoot. After talking to you all week about shooting, it's like our time to prove we can do it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll lean over and I'll go, hey, Mass, yeah. you want to trade guns before we go up and shoot? You know, and sometimes he'll take me up on it. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we won't. It depends on what he's got, whether I pop off. Usually when he's willing to do it and I won't, it's when he's sporting a revolver, you know, because it's like, nah, I don't think I want to do that. But we have (laughs) at times actually traded guns and shot one another stuff before, you know, to keep it interesting. Cool. So, you know, hey, I may lean over and see if you want to trade guns, Bob, if you got something interesting. 
I think what I have, what I'm planning on getting, you might want to shoot. And I'll let some people in on a little secret. Uh, it will not be a 9mm. It will be something other than a 9mm. Wow. So that's as far as I'm going to go. But, yeah, John, it might be something that you might want to borrow. Uh, you know, perhaps you've, you've shot one before, oh. but uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. And, you know, Bob, what I'd like to do as well, you know, is this. If we can... Um, if, if you would like to do this, here's what I'm going to tell you. If your listeners will tell you that they're coming, okay, mm-hmm. if they will mm-hmm. commit to coming, I will agree one night of the class with you, with your listeners, and with Masada Yu. How about that? You say that again because we had a little bit of a, of a blip there. Okay. okay. Your listeners. So they tell you they're coming, okay? Okay. You tell me, you give me a list of names, and what I will do is I will commit to host a dinner with you, any of your listeners that you tell me that are your listeners that are there, and I will bring Masada you to that as well. How about that? Oh, very cool. Very cool. All right. So those of you who are listening that are coming to MAG40, you heard it. Dinner with Hadaway and with Masada you. At, at my house. At your house? I will, ha- I will have everyone over to my house. For dinner, and I will grill out. How about that? What are we eating? What do you want? <laughs> well, we have six months to figure it out, so we'll figure it out. Okay. How about that? As a matter of fact, I tell you what. I tell you what. All of all of the Handgun World Show listeners who are going to be there, that are going to participate in John Hottaway's dinner at his house. How about if we let the listeners pick the food? We can do that. We can do that. And all right, listeners get to pick the food. And and Bob. Make sure you're still there. We can even paw through my gun safe while we're here if you want to, and y'all can look through my crap. How about that? Oh, that's cool. I like that. I like that. Now, um, if you want to trade guns with me while I'm there, uh, that's going to be kind of cool. So I'll get to shoot a Night a Nighthawk 45, which I've never shot. That's cool. Sure. So, Bob, I, I think this is going to be great, and you know, I want to mm-hmm. encourage your listeners to come to it. And I think you know we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about this a little more as it approaches. But you know, I'm going to say they're going to have the uh, the option of seeing it on the Gun Rights Forum. They can sign up online on the web page, and you know, I'm throwing it out right here to everybody listening. If they respond to you, and they're your listener, they're invited to my house with Masada Yu for dinner. Okay, cool. And by the way, I just got the email you sent me uh, with the link to the um, to the class. So I'll put that in the show notes of this episode and also post it to the forum. Okay. I think that's cool. John, thanks for joining me again. This was fantastic. I'm excited. I wish it wasn't six months away. Bob, I do too, but you know what? We all got to get off work. We all got to get money together, so it'll be here before we know it. It will. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.